Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add one single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, your heart will also be. And we believe by faith that God will bless his word today. kids catch the silent video this week and sneak out. They were quiet on the way out too. Uh, a few years back, shortly after I was well, just gotten out of college and hadn't met Julie yet and pitifully single. And, uh, it was, uh, by the way, when I say something that's the least bit funny and, and if I, especially if I kind of laugh at it, would y'all kind of laugh out really loud? Because Julie was, Julie was pointing out to me that when you listen online, it's just picking up from here, and it just sounds like I'm laughing at my own jokes, and I'm the only one laughing. So I figured if y'all laugh like just hysterically loud, that maybe this would pick it up, and then they'd hear it online, they'd think that I wasn't just pitiful. So um, anyway, so before before I, I met Julie, and, and I was teaching school, 
and I was rooming with a guy that was also teaching school and was also single and so we got to thinking maybe we need to go to you know, a bigger church than the one we were, had been going to and, and try and meet some ladies our age and that kind of thing and so you know meet some Christian women and that sort of thing. so we just we headed to this church that we had seen a big billboard for and it was called Victory Church and we figured if they can afford a big old billboard then probably it's a big old church and we can just see if they have anything going on for people our age you know some kind of group we could be involved in or something so we show up having not really heard anything about this church except the billboard you know now I know what to expect from churches called Victory Church but at the time I didn't so I showed up and uh, and first thing that we thought was kind of funny was around the time of the offering which was earlier in the service they had us all join hands which was a little bit weird for me with, you know I mean you're new you just it's just kind of odd and so they had us read off of a screen all together something I'd never seen before I was just supposed to read it and it was about the offering and it said something along the lines of you know we believe that whatever we give to God he's going to multiply back to us in the form of inheritances and job raises and bonuses and gifts and unexpected blessings and and on and on and I, this is just strange you know and then the, the pastor began to to speak and he talked about how before the church was big he, he and his wife were driving through uh, this neighborhood and they saw this big house and they said that's going to be our house and he said you just got to you name it and claim it <laughs> and now folks we live in that house <laughs> he said we didn't go back to that church but uh, but that church preached something that, that we call prosperity gospel a prosperity gospel. And many churches that fall in the, the Pentecostal category, not to pick on them, but it's just a fact, many of them do teach some version of that prosperity gospel. And that is a concerning thing that our, our culture and our country needs to be aware of and on the lookout about. A lot of what you see on TV has to do with that. There's been something going around on Facebook lately about a pastor that was asking for a jet you know, and asking for his church to pay for like a $92 million jet or something. Uh, and then he thought better of it, which to his credit. Uh, but to the extent, you know, we say, well, that's them, not us. But, but even for us, to the extent that we believe that as Christians we're entitled to special treatment, that we should not have to deal with the illnesses that other people have to deal with, that God should just take care of it, that we shouldn't have to deal with the relational issues and emotions uh, that, that other people have to deal with, that we shouldn't have to deal with grief, or that we shouldn't have to deal with the financial issues that other people deal with. To that extent, we're kind of buying into that prosperity gospel that somehow or another we are entitled to special treatment while we're here on this earth because of our decision to be Christians. And the truth is that, yes, if we follow God's guidelines for life, we typically end up in better shape than the folks who don't, because His way is wiser. But while we're here, and while we're just human, we're going to make poor choices sometimes. 
And we'll reap the consequences for those. And sometimes circumstances and people that, we, that are out of our control will do things that will affect our life as well. And that's why Jesus said that, hey, as long as you're on this earth, you're going to have trouble. So to, we should not think, you know, that, that while we're on this earth, we're entitled to special treatment. That's a kind of prosperity gospel that is not taught in Scripture. In fact, many of the early believers had life much rougher because of their beliefs, if anything. And that's why it's important that we're investing in the right future. And today's message is about investing in the right future. An IRA is an investment for the future. We're talking about individual retirement accounts, not the Irish Republican Army. If you thought we were going to talk about the Irish Republican Army today, you're going to be gravely disappointed. We're talking about IRAs, something you invest in for the future. And specifically today, we're going to be talking about, obviously, Kingdom IRAs. We're in a series, we're finishing up a series today called God's Economy. And we've talked about economics being that which has to do with wealth and material possessions. Alright? We've talked about how the United States that we live in, the country we live in, the time and place that we live in, is the wealthiest nation in our world by scientific standards. When it comes to wealth and material possessions, we've got the most. We have talked about, though, that in God's economy, God's economy outscales every economy in the world, all of them combined, simply by the wealth of God himself, because he owns it all. We've talked about how God's economy, the values of it, the principles on which it's built, the way that it works... It's completely upside down from the way the world's economy works. And how the world's economy, it's all about what's mine, mine, mine. We talked about that, didn't we? If you're behind on any of this, you can always catch up on our website, cypressstreet.org, and you can listen to messages there and catch up. But we talked about how the world's way is mine, 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 but God's economy works on completely different standards and we've been learning these different lessons about God's economy we're going to wrap it up today with the last two but the first ones were everything is God's and God has made us stewards of what is his he's given you and I a portion a piece of his capital to invest wisely he's made us stewards and we said a steward is just someone who manages someone else's stuff. And not only has he made us stewards, but he's given us specific instructions on how he wants his stuff managed. And so in lesson three, we learned last week that God clearly prefers a growth strategy to a risk management strategy. That he doesn't want us just to sit on it, but to invest it in kingdom things. And all these lessons fit pretty tidily in this passage that we've been reading together 
each week, and we'll read it again now, um, this last week as we've wrapped things up. And uh, again, if you'll just read the parts that are underlined, if you can see the words up there, read those parts with me, boldly and like you mean it. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And today's final two lessons have to do with that last part there of a treasure, storing up a treasure for a good foundation for the future, for that which is life indeed. And we read, yes, a rather lengthy passage, Kenny, I'm sorry. Where Jesus is encountered in Luke, if you, in fact, if you'd open back up, if you closed it to uh, Luke 12, we're going to dig around in there some more. But we find at the very beginning of this little section where Jesus teaches about money and God's economy, stuff, material wealth, possessions, that he's approached by some guy in the crowd. You ever feel like, uh, if you ever feel like people are just always wanting something from you? Then just walk a day in Jesus' shoes. All right, Someone was always wanting something from Jesus, it seemed like. And this day was apparently no different. Because the guy said, hey, would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Because the deal was, back then, the oldest brother got the vast majority of everything. And everyone else was kind of just given a little bit. And, and so this guy obviously felt like that wasn't fair. And he had probably heard about this teacher that that was going around and, and preaching that you know, he was often taking the side of those who were facing injustices and such. And so maybe this guy thought, hey, maybe he'll take pity on me and tell my brother that he needs to even up the score a little bit, even things up. Instead, Jesus tells him, if you look at verse 15, Be on guard against greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So here's this guy saying, Hey, you know, my brother is going to be having it fine and easy while I'm having to work my tail off for every penny. Did you tell him to share a little bit? And Jesus says, If you think that having some more stuff is going to define how well you're doing in life or how well you have it in life or how important you are or any of that stuff you're mistaken life does not consist of your possessions and I guess Jesus probably felt like he needed to drive the point home a little harder so he tells him a story a parable a teaching story and he tells him about a guy who was a farmer he had a bumper crop that year 
and had so much, he was like, what should I do with this stuff? Well, I'll just build some more barns and store it all, and, and that way I'll be good for years to come. I'll be able to uh, eat, drink, and be merry, and, and live life. Life will be good. And God says, you fool, your life's required of you tonight, and what are you going to do with all that stuff now? <laughs> and if you look at verse 21... Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. He's saying to that young man and to everyone else standing there, your life is more than your stuff. Here, look, I mean, you you get, say you acquired a bunch of stuff. Say, young man, that you convinced your brother to split that. Or if I, you got me to make him split it or whatever. Because sometimes rabbis were called on to settle disputes. And, you know, would it, would it have been worth it at the end? You're not going to be able to keep it anyway. You sacrificed family relationships so that you could have this stuff. Is it really worth it in the end? You're going to die anyway. You're not going to take any of it with you. And he says... This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. So you might say, well, everyone's in that boat then, right? I mean, we're all going to die and, and we won't be able to take any of it with us. So, so what's the point of any of it? But Jesus just says that's just how it's going to be for those who try to be rich to themselves, for themselves. But if you try to be rich toward God, there's obviously something different. So Jesus goes on. By the way, though, doesn't that remind you of our lesson three? Um, see if it'll pop up. God clearly prefers a growth strategy to risk management. God clearly prefers us to, uh, well, like the story last week. The guy buried it in the backyard so he didn't lose it, and he ended up losing it. This guy put it in barns to keep it safe, ended up losing it. God clearly prefers us to make kingdom investments with what he gives us than to just sit on it. And like we said last week, the surest way to lose, to lose it all is to try and keep it all safe. Jesus, different story, same principle. And he goes on to talk about worry. I think because maybe, jumping ahead, that's all right. I think because, probably if you're hearing that, you might say, well, you know, if I'm rich towards you, God, if I do this whole giving strategy that you have, what, what about my needs? You know, if I'm, Instead of trying to store things up for myself, you want me to be rich towards God. Well, that's well and good, but what about my needs, God? And so Jesus goes on. And he says, don't worry about your needs. Look at the flowers and the birds. Leave it to Jesus to start talking about flowers and birds out of the blue. (laughs) And here in this passage, we find our last two lessons Look at verse 23. 
This sounds kind of like what he said to the young man to start with. Life is more than food. And the body more than clothes. Jump down to 29. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs around after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. First off, I just want to see if perhaps this will convict you as much as it convicted me this week. Get ready. (laughs) You notice what he said there? Don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. And earlier he said life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And he says the pagan world runs after such things. And I got to tell you, sometimes I feel like I'm pretty confident that our culture, our corner of the world, has an obsession with food. I mean, you see it all over TV, you see it everywhere you drive and go. It's an unhealthy obsession with food. And I think sometimes uh, when a society lives in sin, Julie and I were just talking about, wait, we were off on a different subject, but we were just talking about this last night. When a society lives in sin, and, and then sometimes they're surprised when problems come out of that. You know, like we were talking about how many kids nowadays have eating disorders, you know. And I just wonder if that's, is that by accident? Uh, or is that because our society has an unhealthy obsession with food? I mean, we're so picky about it, aren't we? Someone's going to ask you, you want to go to this place for lunch after church? And you'll say, ah, I just ate there. Or, uh, no, it's, not, it's just not good enough. That place down the road's a little better. We're like connoisseurs, you know. And I, I, felt, I felt convicted of that. because here's And we do the same thing with clothes and with other stuff. You know, we've got to have the latest styles. We wouldn't show up to church if we weren't stylish. You know, some of us. Some of us are doing better on that. I'm not going to point out who's. <laughs> but my goodness, Jesus says the pagan world, the world out there, they run after food, they run after stuff. That's not how it's supposed to be with my people. That's not my way. So that's kind of an aside. But he says at the end, he says, Seek after my kingdom. And I'll take care of that stuff. I'll take care of what you need. Seek after my kingdom first. And so we get our lesson for that wise kingdom risks come with God's own version of security. You ever walk into the bank and you see the sticker there on the it says FDIC. Ever notice that? We don't think about that much anymore. But when the stock market crashed back in 1929 and everything changed, lots of people lost their money that was in the bank. And so the government made some changes and they started insuring banks. And so those stickers just says, if your bank folds, we're going to guarantee your bank account to a certain amount. or I don't know all the details of it, but that's the gist of it. 
And this is a similar principle. This is God's principle and God's economy. He says, if you're making wise kingdom investments, if you're seeking my kingdom first, I'm going to make sure your needs are taken care of. That's in his word time and again. He's not promising you a Porsche, but he's promising that he'll take care of your needs. If you'll invest his way in his kingdom. Please take note of the word wise investment. Just because you're giving, I mean, if you run up extravagant debt in the name of giving, and then you end up broke, don't be surprised. If you give yourself out until you're bankrupt, don't be, we have to be wise with what God's entrusted to us. But if we're seeking his kingdom first, Instead of seeking our stuff, mine, mine, mine first, then he, he guarantees us that he'll take care of our needs. Then he goes on. Let's read the last few verses together, 32 through 34. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, we often talk about seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And I guess I've always kind of thought of that as, well, you know, I'm seeking his kingdom, you know, because I'm a Christian. But Jesus shoots pretty straight about what seeking his kingdom looks like, doesn't he? He says, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Be a giver. Be generous with your stuff. Don't try to keep it all for yourself. Seek his kingdom first. Be rich toward God, which means being rich toward others, apparently. And in doing so, he says, we'll provide ourselves with purses, which, guys, we don't carry purses anymore like they did back then. But... wallets (laughs) let's go with that purses and wallets and billfolds and whatever y'all got and bank accounts that won't be destroyed that won't wear out in other words place your investment where it's going to last in other words invest in the right future lesson five oop See if I can get my buttons straight. How we choose to manage his resources here. This is our last lesson, wrapping up all these lessons about God's economy. How we choose to invest his resources here affects the dividends that are put into our account in his kingdom, in God's economy. What we do with what he's entrusted to us now, in some way, shape, or form, affects our account in his kingdom, in his economy. So I think it's important then that we ask ourselves, are we investing in the right future? And if you've got your note card, you can fill in those blanks and keep it handy because I'm going to ask you in a minute to write something on the back of it. But deep in the middle of your multi, multi-bulletins today, <laughs> you do find your uh, God's economy card with all five lessons summarized there 
And at the bottom, are you investing in the right future? If we brought your bank statements and your credit card statements and all that information and put it up on the screen, <laughs> which we don't do because we're not a cult and we don't drink Kool-Aid either. <laughs> we're not crazy. Not completely. But if we did, just hypothetically, if we put it all up on the screen, what story would it tell? Which future would it show that you're investing in? Would it show someone who's really just out for mine, 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 more stuff, more things for you, for your pleasure, for your recreation? Or would it show to any degree someone who's growing in learning what it means to be a joyful and generous giver? What does it look like to invest in the right future? I want to give you several ideas. It's not an exhaustive list. But things that maybe will strike some of you where you're at. Because here's the deal with, with this thing. Is there's no... You know, God is looking for a heart thing here. Not a, a decimal point thing or a digits thing. He's looking for, you know, hey, are you growing in what it means to be rich toward God? Are you growing in what it means to make wise kingdom investments instead of just keeping it all for me, me, me? And we're all going to be in different places with that our whole life long. But what's important is that we stay on the journey. And so I just want to give you some possible action points. And if you hear one that strikes you as, hey, this may be kind of where I'm at, would you write it down on the back of your card just so you can have it to keep thinking on after this message is over? First one to consider. Is it time for you to become a first-time giver? And what I mean by that is to begin giving towards God's church, towards ministry, for the first time on a consistent basis. Not that you've never given a dime in your life. I'm not saying that because most everybody's given something at some point, in some shape or form. But is it time for you to start learning what it means to give something consistently? Come rain or shine, whether it was a tough week or a tough month or not, whether the finances seem tight or not, to trust God to give something consistently. Is it time to become a tither for the first time? Scripture teaches tithe, and someday we'll talk more in depth about just tithe, but teaches that as the first 10% of what we earn before anything else. If you can steal it before Uncle Sam gets his hands on it, right? <laughs> but it belongs to God first. That first 10%. For some folks, 
you know, you, you've been doing that since you were a little kid in Sunday school. And it's never been a big deal because that first 10% always been gone. First. But for others who are new to this church thing, that's a daunting ask. Because their bills and budgets were already at 100% before they came to church. Where is that 10% going to come from? And that's a big leap of faith. And it takes some reorganizing of priorities. It takes some paying off of debt. But maybe it's time that God wants to stretch you in that direction, as I think he does all of us at some point in time. Is it time for you to try giving more than a tithe for the first time? Have you been sticking with that 10% figure because that's what the Bible says so and you're not required to do anymore, but maybe God's saying, hey, it's not about all that. It's about your heart. It's about the joy and the generosity. And would you give more than what's required? Is it time for you, maybe you've been doing that, but it's time to let God stretch you again in the area of giving. I think for those of us that have been Christians a long time, it's easy for us to put it on cruise control that, hey, I I do my tithe thing, and I do the faith promise thing, I give to this or that. But again, I don't think it's something where we ever get to hit cruise control as everything else in the Christian life. God wants us constantly growing and stretching our faith. I even had a guy come uh, talk to me the other day from Anderson. He he had worked in, in Church of God headquarters for a long time. He said, a lot of folks are just finding out about estate gifts. And some people are choosing to leave a gift with their estate. So that what they invested in, you know, their whole life long they can make another investment in for the future. I thought that was interesting. I've seen you know, people do that for libraries and all kinds of stuff. You know? But there's folks who choose to do that for the church. And again, until, until we're done, <laughs> until we're moving on, we're to be growing in our faith and letting God stretch us. Here's a big one. Is it time to get serious about getting out of debt so that you can be free to give instead of enslaved to creditors? That's a big one. When all your extra money is tied up in paying interest to the creditor, it doesn't leave a whole lot of room. But when you're free from debt, it leaves room for you to be so much generous. Our church is a living testament to that. If you're wondering how that would look in your personal finances, look at how it looks in our church. And because we don't have a huge monthly bill that we're having to pay on our church building, we don't have to put all of our effort into a big building campaign where all your money gets sucked up into that and there's not much left for things like this faith promise thing that's coming up. Where we get to do really cool partnering with ministries that are going on around the world. That money is freed up for us to do really neat things with it because faithful givers through the years have allowed us to have this place to meet and do ministry without debt attached to it. 
Imagine what that would look like in your home and in your financial, in your budget. If instead of having to make that monthly payment, you were like, hey, what could I do with this to bless somebody or for kingdom work? Or maybe all the way back to square one, you're listening to all this and you're like, hey, I need to go all the way back to square one. And that is to give my life in the first place to God and to be baptized into his way of life, into his kingdom, into his economy. Hmm. Whatever it is, wherever you are today with all this stuff, my prayer is that we will not ever find ourselves in the shoes of a, that a church found themselves in a long time ago. If you look at the beginning of the book of Revelation, there's a section where Jesus is communicating some messages to the Apostle John that he wants John to send to churches that have been established. Some of them were poor churches. Some of them were rich churches. Some of them were faithful churches. Some of them were unfaithful churches. And he had a different message and a different challenge to each of them. But the harshest one was reserved for a church that at that time lived in a society not much unlike ours. They, they had all their needs met and then some. And Jesus' words to them is heartbreaking. If you look in sometime in Revelation 3, I think it's about verse 14, he talks to the church in Laodicea. And he talks about how they're not hot or cold. They're just kind of lukewarm. He's going to spew them out of his mouth. And he gets to the crux of it. He says, you think that because your needs are met that you have no need for me. Somehow, you're having all your needs met have diminished, has diminished your sense of your great need for me. And you think you have all that you need because you're well fed and well clothed. He says, but in fact, you're homeless. You're naked. You're poor. You're hungry. Why don't you come to me for real gold? Why don't you come to me for white robes? Why don't you come for me for real food? And I would give it to you. Why don't you invest in the right future instead of the one that's just, we all know where it ends. And I pray that God will never say that of me. I pray that God will never say that of us. But that instead he would say, look how joyfully you are so generous because of how generous I had been to you. And look at the way that you loved to partner with your church and to fund your ministries and your staff and, and ministries of other people all around the world just because you love to be a part of what I'm up to and what I'm doing. I pray that's what he'd say of us. Amen. I look forward to seeing you at our Faith Promise Convention on Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday morning especially. 
If you want to know times and things like that, check your bulletin. It should be all in there. We'll have food each evening. So if nothing else, come for the food. <laughs> and be blessed by what else happens. Let's pray together. and Ladies are going to come sing and we're going to have a time of reflecting on what God's spoken to us through His Word today. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, that You never leave us alone. God, sometimes... Sometimes we're just often challenged. When we open Your Word, we see how far we've come, but we also see how far we have to go. Holy Spirit, teach us Your ways. Ever and increasingly, Lord, teach us your ways. Teach us to be more generous, God. Ever more generous. Help us to be joyful givers of our time, of the abilities and gifts and talents you've given us, and yes, of our money as well. So that we won't ever be saying, look what I've done But we'd say, look what God did. We gave and he did mighty things. And that's our prayer, God. Amen.